0: The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist,
1: Marketeers. Hello and welcome to Provoke Podcast. I am Diana Marzalek and I have today with me Brendan Edwards, who is the founder and CEO of Revive Health in Nashville. Hello, Brandon. Hi. Appreciate you you coming to talk with us today. Absolutely. Um, you, you've been really in the thick of... Um, for months now of COVID-19 is that you're working with health systems and uh, I'm sure that it's, it's constantly changing in terms of what you're seeing and what their needs are and what the population's needs are.
0: It is, in fact, you know, we've, we've really thought a lot um, about not just how the health system um, really adjusts to meet very quickly, quickly evolving needs of consumers and physicians and others, but also, I think there's some really important lessons learned um, for non-healthcare entities as well, right? That, that we, we are very clearly going through some kind of a pivot, um, some of which seems like it could be pretty permanent and some of which might be temporary. Um, but it's, it's been a pretty dramatic change for the healthcare system over the last few months.
1: Now when you say dramatic, how so, and we'll get more into depth to this, but is there some overarching way that you can describe what, the, <laughs> what has changed or is that yeah. just uh, too big? But, but, but,
0: no, no, I, I, I'll, I'll try. So I think there's, I'll, I'll do this for the economic side and then maybe the non-economic side. Right? I think if you, if you take an industry that runs average margins of about 3% a year and pull $350 billion out of that system, Uh, you are creating an awful lot of financial pressure and potential financial distress for those organizations, right? And there's been some federal stimulus that that, uh, it's been estimated makes up about a third of those losses. Um, but, But at the end of the day, on the economic side, at least, this will be without question the single most traumatic event that the hospital industry has faced ever. Um, and 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 all of them sort of simultaneously, which is pretty pretty fascinating.
1: So you're saying so. But they yet, they've been on overdrive, but yet they have lost, I know a lot of people aren't going to the emergency room, right? They're not having or going to regular doctor business. Is that what is, yeah. that what is hurting these systems?
0: Yeah. So it's, with, without boring your audience with too much hospital economics, um, the reality is whether or not a hospital's busy has very little to do with how it performs financially. It really matters what it's busy with and, and treating whom. And so just as an example, the average hospital loses about $1,500 treating a COVID patient. Hmm. Um, All of the money that hospitals make is made in in surgery and in elective surgery. And to a lesser extent, some on, on kind of trauma and emergency room, to your point. But essentially what you've done is make these hospitals a lot busier with patients they lose money on and taken out almost all of the patients that they make money on. And so it, it is, to your point, it is a, a little challenging, I think, for people outside the industry to say, they seem so busy, how could they not be doing well? Um, but that's really, the, that's really the underlying rationale. The economics, the mm-hmm. single biggest change is that you have, for the first time ever, more capacity in the system than demand for services. I, I, we've certainly never experienced that in my lifetime, I'm 50. I've been doing healthcare work for more than 25 years. Um, it, you know, it's always been full waiting rooms and waiting lists to see doctors and all of those sorts of things. And that's not the situation we're in. And it does not seem that we will be returning to it anytime soon. And that is a huge sea change for the industry.
1: And how does that affect? How have you seen that, that affect the way they need to communicate with people? What they're communicating about? Um, yet, yeah, let alone their budgets, because I understand that healthcare systems have very, very um, low budgets for marketing to begin with. I don't.
0: Yeah, they they can. So they're um, like, you know, like like most things. You know, there's a bell curve, and so there are some organizations that believe in marketing and, and spend accordingly. Right? They see the business value of that. The, the Cleveland Clinics and UPMC's and New York Presbyterians and Mayo's of the world. Um, and, you know, and there are all, you know, all the way over on the other extreme where maybe they're doing some traditional advertising, but, but not really um, integrated marketing the way we would think of it now. Um, but I think, you know, what, what's really different is, is a couple of things. I think, you know, one, um, consumers need to hear that it's clean and safe in a detailed way that they've never had to hear before. And I think that there is actually a really big lesson to be learned for other industries in this as well, right? We're, we're seeing car dealership advertising about how safe it is, you know, airlines and hotels and pizza delivery and you name it, right? Is all this emphasis not just on trust us, it's safe, but the emphasis is on actually tell me what you're going to do to keep me safe and healthy. That, that's not something I've ever seen in my lifetime in hospital marketing. Even the last thing you'd do is say, let us tell you how clean our hospital is. I think there's a sort of assumption that they are, right? You hope um, it, um, that but that is up. something, right? right, right. Exactly. If you, you know, if you have to explain it too much, maybe I'm starting to worry. Um, but that, that trend has changed. We're seeing that very clearly in the research. We've done three national surveys with consumers uh, since, since the COVID lockdown started, as well as some qualitative research. And it's very, very clear that what consumers want to hear is tell me it's safe and clean, but also tell me and show me what you're doing. So even things like you know, virtual tours, we used to show people hospitals. Now you want to show people hospitals and you want them to see people cleaning. Right? They want to see the protocol. I mean, stuff that I just would have never expected um, pre-COVID. Um, so I think that's one. I think two is to your point on this sort of restoring demand. Um, for the first time, I think the healthcare system is really not being designed around physician convenience. It's being designed around patient convenience. So uh, you know, you've experienced this, I have in the old days, meaning February, um, you know, we, <laughs> we, we'd show up to a doctor's appointment, we'd sit in the waiting room, maybe we'd fill out some paperwork and, we, and they stacked us for the physician's convenience, right? It maximized throughput for the physician, but it didn't maximize my convenience as a patient. And for the first time, we were being forced to redesign the healthcare system around the convenience and safety of the patient. And so that's different, right? No more waiting rooms, much quicker turnaround, longer turnarounds of rooms because they have to be clean and sterilized even more thoroughly than before. And I think that that is really changing in a a good way at least, consumer expectation for the system and how the people designing the system and marketing the system think about convenience for people.
1: Well, I imagine so because when you think of, um, you know, everybody's got the story about waiting in the doctor's office for an hour, right? Um, It's kind of, the healthcare system is, is, is so ginormous. Healthcare systems are so ginormous. And yet it sounds like you're flipping the relationship in a way. Instead um, of the hospital, yeah, and I was telling, you know, dictating, it, it seems that it's flipping a bit.
0: Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if this is something that could have happened without a forcing function. Right. I just think that, you know, uh, physicians, particularly specialists and subspecialists, you know, if you're dealing with a cardiovascular surgeon or an orthopedic surgeon or a neurologist or oncologist, you know, these are people that are in high demand. They are highly compensated. Their time is very valuable. It's not irrational, right, to, to sort of design the system around them, except that it leaves a pretty lousy experience for patients. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't, I, I don't, it reminds me a little bit of there's an old Seinfeld episode where he makes a car reservation, he shows up and they don't have a car, uh-huh. and he says, I, I, I don't think we have a same understanding of the definition of the word reservation. <laughs> like, That's, right. I, I feel a little bit that way with doctor's appointments, right? Like, why did you tell me to be here at 8 if he's not going to see me at 9? I want to be here at 9. Right. Like I don't I don't wanna sit and wait and I certainly don't want to sit and wait in a COVID world where I'm being potentially exposed to others, right, who who have that. Um, but no, I, I think you're right. I think this forcing function is, you know, we're not planning for the doctor's convenience, we're planning for the patient's safety, which as a byproduct is also delivering the patient's convenience. And it's it's protecting them and you can you 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 can move in and out a lot faster. So I do think, again, there's really some interesting lessons learned, that, um, not just for healthcare, but I think for other industries where that consumer centricity um, that we're all being forced to have even more of now is enhanced by the fact that there is just less spending happening. So we're all fighting over fewer dollars, right? Every company is fighting over fewer customers and fewer dollars. And that's making people be pretty innovative and smart about at least the winners will be, I think.
1: No, absolutely. And, and let alone just, you know, out there proving to people there's so much misinformation out there, rules and regulations changing all the time. Nobody knows what to expect. So um, from healthcare on down or, or far and wide, the businesses, I imagine, are going to have to communicate that differently, like you say. Um, come to me, I'm okay, you're gonna, you're gonna get out of here okay.
0: I, I agree, and I'll tell you, I do, I do think that a lot of what we're seeing, especially in the last few weeks, is business stepping into um, what, what I, I don't think is unfair to say is a failing, particularly the federal government, but a government at a lot of levels, to provide safety and direction for people who are hungry. for it. You know, when, when Walmart has to issue a mask mandate, or Kroger does, or Starbucks does, this is business doing what government is unwilling or unable to do. And I, and I think that, it, it you know, one, it sends the right signals, the right thing from a public health standpoint. I am not particularly political, but I do think that having organizations step in in cases like that, like that really should be the role of government. It shouldn't have to be the poor Walmart greeter who's enforcing a mask mandate. You know, that's something that, that government should be doing. But I think we're going to see that across all industries. I think there is just a changing view of businesses' responsibility to protect consumers and to, and to get them what they need and want in ways that perhaps we weren't as, as myopically focused on pre-COVID.
1: So we've seen businesses that are in that sort of um, consumer-facing shopping retail, that like you mentioned, the Walmarts of the world mm-hmm. taking steps. But healthcare systems, I mean, has this just totally upended? I mean, how, how have they been able to react? They have, are so inundated with so much and then yet you're talking about flipping the whole model of how they interact with patients and how they communicate that. Um, that's a big ask in a pandemic.
0: It is, and I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm actually in a lot of ways sort of in awe of our staff and the work we did with clients in the early days of COVID in particular, right? Because it's a brand new thing. No one had experienced it before. No one knew how we were supposed to talk about you. We were, we were really figuring it out on the fly. And, and I think that the quality of the work, to your point, to first inform, educate and reassure consumers and then to begin to show the path forward to get that care they need. Because part of the challenge we're seeing right now from a public health standpoint is all of this deferred care, right? People putting off surgeries, not going to the emergency room. I mean, there, there's a, a bit of you know, scare information out there right now that we could see a huge resurgence of measles over the winter because there have been so many deferred or delayed vaccinations. Oh, for I haven't kids. Heard that
1: one. <laughs> adding that one It's, to the it's
0: actually terrifying when yeah. you really start getting into it. The 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 DOA rate for people being brought to all hospital by an ambulance is about four times the level that it was mm-hmm. pre-COVID because people are having a heart attack or a stroke and saying, I'm scared to go there. Maybe this will be okay. You know, you're just seeing so so many things that the health, the health system has to step into that gap, right? Even if there was no money involved, there's a mission element that says, if you care about taking care of people, you have to help them solve this problem. And, 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 you're, and you nailed it, as I think they're, they're balancing huge patient loads, um, a, a lot of sort of PTSD-inducing events for their staff and physicians. Um, and then on top of it, they need to get people back in for care that they need who may be scared in the process. And that's any one of those would be a pretty big challenge. All simultaneously is a huge communication challenge.
1: Absolutely. So what, how, are the, how are some of the ways, at least, that you're meeting them or helping these systems <clears throat> meet that challenge?
0: Yeah. So we've sort of looked at this in waves, um, and I, I think we, we've, we've kind of broken down the model, the response model, if you will, into kind of three phases. There's the initial phase, was, phase which was response to COVID, that happened obviously very early in markets like new york or uh, new orleans or detroit um and 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 i think it's going to sound weird but i think we're lucky to have clients in those places because we actually got to learn in march what a lot of people in other states are just learning now Mm -hmm. and it was how to talk about it how to handle it how to navigate through it that phase was really about educating people about covid helping them to understand how to keep themselves safe um, you know, helping them to understand uh, what was available and what wasn't available from the healthcare system, um, and then it sort of shifted into phase two, which was this phase we refer to as rapid recovery, which was really once the first wave has passed, how do you get people back into a care setting that they need, right? Whether that's surgery or um, you know, or a doctor's office for vaccinations or whatever it was, right? Whatever whatever that is, and that's part education, but I would say much more assertively calls to action. Here's where you can go for information. Here's where you can get your questions answered. Here's how we're going to take care of you in this. And then we think there's a third phase, which we originally thought would happen in, in sort of the September to just the November phase. It may end up being 2021. But that's what the phase that we have sort of articulated is return to growth, which we think is, is when the first waves were over and whether we had a vaccine or the system had just reopened enough that you could really start bringing patients back. I think a lot of what we're doing in return in the middle phase, that rapid recovery is, is helping us to learn how we're going to market a redesigned healthcare system in that final phase.
1: Well, the second phase was what I was going to return to ask you about a little more in depth because you're talking about getting people back to a normal or doing some of the things they should do normally um, yes. a, a new normal, or as you say, there is no normal. So, yeah. you know, we were in phase two, we thought, and now what, 41 states are back in phase one. And every week, every day, I mean, you can't make a plan. You can't make a plan to get on a plane. Yeah. You can't make a plan to go take a drive, you know, for the hospital system and that phase two. It could, it could take a very long time or it could constantly transform
0: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. So I think this this no normal idea that that we put out there, sort of our POV is we've heard so much discussion in the media, in particular around um, we want to get back to normal. I have heard that phrase a lot, or we want to lean into the new normal. And I think our our view, at least, is that that that's a false dichotomy, Mm -hmm. that whatever we used to view as normal is officially gone. Yes. Um, And whatever the new normal is, we don't think is really going to be realized or normalized, if you will, until we are post-immunization. That we're in this no normal period that is the old is dead, the new is not here yet. And and many of the changes that we're all experiencing, we believe, will be permanent. Some of them will be temporary, but I think anybody that pretends they know which is going to be which for a while is, is, is probably not telling the truth,
1: right? <laughs> no, we don't know, but we don't know anything, right? The only we thing know. you know, and, and you said it, and this is one of the things in all those, uh, I'm in New York, so all those Cuomo press conferences mm-hmm. that he said, it, it sticks with me. He said, there, it, it, like what you said, the, the old normal is gone. You're not going back to what you had. No matter yeah. where we go from here, we're not going back. Um, you know, yeah. we're just not. And um, I don't know how you function or how these healthcare systems can function or business function, not knowing what that next normal is going to be.
0: Yeah, and I, I, do, I do think, um, and maybe this is Pollyanna, I think the old normal being gone is not such a bad thing, right? I think that, that there were many aspects of the old normal. I mean, let's look at, at racial injustice and, 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 ra- and inequities in healthcare that are caused by racial injustice. I don't think anybody would say, you know, the world was better when we just ignored all of right. that, and and you know, and um, black and brown people were um, didn't have the same access to healthcare, and they were exposed at a much higher rate to COVID and much sicker when they got COVID, and all of these different things. Like, no one, I don't think, would say, "Gosh, I just wish we could go back to those days." Right. You know, I. There are gonna be things we miss. I mean, I'm just desperate for a full restaurant and, you know, and, know. and, and <laughs> laughter and smiling and live music and you know, all the, yeah. all the things that were good hallmarks of the way things were before, but there is an opportunity we feel like to make it better. And, and some of that consumer centricity we talked about in healthcare, I think could be one of those things, right? That if we end up with a healthcare system that eliminates waiting rooms and is much more centered around the consumer, that would be a positive byproduct of a really awful situation. And Um, I think that's true in a lot of industries
1: as well. Yeah. I agree with you that I have tried to think of this with, with so much bad that this is a reset for so much of the way the world works including industry, including healthcare um, at the center of it.
0: Yeah. I, I will, I guess, at least um, talk about one other positive as I've been 150, 200 years on the road or 200 days a year on the road since 1995. And this is the longest I've ever been home. And, and I've, forgotten how great this is so you so like it.
1: That's good because I'm getting I'm getting that wanderlust I'm getting that itch that I like I'm ready to get out of my uh, house so but I, I, yeah, I, I want to of... be
0: able to yeah to your point I don't I don't want to have to but I want to be able to <laughs>
1: wait and till I winter don't, I don't Keep miss three cities in five days you know? <laughs> yeah no that's not fun the thrill of that wears off pretty quickly right
0: yeah that's
1: I mean so how, are, how how um you you must work with systems in all. You work with rural systems as well as some of the kind of premier, more urban systems that you work with. Because um, yeah. those, those are also different animals, correct?
0: They really are, and I mean, it's. I think one of the things that that has been um, really obvious going through this is the way COVID is affecting people is is really unique to every single community we deal with. So we. At one point, we had clients, uh, hospital clients in New York, Detroit, um, Louisiana, and Tulsa. Mm. And those four places could not possibly have been experiencing COVID in a different way, right? Like the the New York experience was sort of the worst, right, in the country. I would say sort of Detroit and Louisiana were experiencing it in, in similar ways, but even had their own unique aspects. And two months ago, Tulsa wasn't experiencing COVID at all. I mean, I think there were like two or three patients in our, in our client's ICU at that time. Um, Today it's exactly reversed, right? The, the volumes in New York are way down the volumes in Louisiana and, uh, and Detroit are way down. Tulsa's going crazy. And as, as are many other places, right? So, so I think we've really learned that there, there may be principles or best practices to your point that, that work. Um, But it's really what's going on in that market at that exact moment. And there is no sort of national thing. There's not really even a statewide thing. It's really what's happening in market. The rural experience is totally different, to your point. Right. It's rur- hard to
1: reach communities, right? I mean, I know yes. in Utah, the Navajo Nation, I mean, so many challenges on so many different levels of, of getting the messages out there. Um, yeah,
0: you got it. So, it's just so st- statistically, it's not nearly as bad. But to your point, if care is not readily accessible or it's only available at a distance, your challenges testing, all of that stuff are just fundamentally different and much harder. So we do a fair amount of work with rural healthcare providers that are part of systems, not so much with standalone rural providers. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's a very different kind of challenge. I think in the rurals, what we really, you really see is COVID is most heavily impacting um, nursing home population and prison populations okay. uh, both of which te- you can can have more rural presence and that's really where the volume is but yeah access to care is just a, a different a different situation
1: no absolutely area. how involved are I, I mean how does there's so many mixed messages what's real what's hoax what's not <laughs> who's saying what when where do healthcare healthcare systems messages come into play are they more about showing yeah. what kind of care they provide you know, the clean, the, that they're there for the, 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 yeah. the patient? Or where do they get into the messaging about the disease themselves, itself?
0: Yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's a really great question because I think when we first started this, we thought, you know, surely people are, don't want to hear necessarily from their local hospital. There's plenty of news available from the CDC and Dr. Fauci and, you know, all of these different organizations. Interesting thing is that that's not what the survey research showed. That when we really dug into it, in all three surveys, and in fact, increasing in each survey, the number one trusted source for healthcare information about COVID is the local hospital. It's not the local health department. It's not Dr. Fauci. It's not national. Those are all good, right? Not, not, to, not diminishing their role. But what people said is, that's who I want to hear from. And I want to hear a lot more than I've been hearing. And we thought there'd be sort of a fatigue element that would come out of it, right? That you'd get two or three months in and people would say, please, God, I want to hear about anything except for COVID. Um, and, And that's not how they're reacting. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So what we've really, what we've really counseled our clients, and I think this is good advice for any healthcare organization, is lean into this. You're the trusted source. They want to hear about COVID. They want to hear facts and truth. They don't want you know a politicized message, and and I'm not and I'm not saying public health departments or the CDC are politicized. It's just the closer to you, the more trusted the source. Right, so yes, I, that's where I you trust. go to
1: have your baby or your whatever it is. That's yeah. you know the building, you, you know. the people. It. and that's um, closest, and they know your community.
0: You got it. So you know. So we've had, and we're lucky. I think we've had a, we have a number of clients who. Um, are doing a lot of work on uh, testing treatments and testing vaccines as well. Um, And so we've got clients who are really in in the mix of that. But even those that aren't, they really, there is a trust-building, brand-building moment here to really lean in and meet people where they are with the information that they want. And the things they want are pretty basic. I mean, I'll... uh, I don't know where masks became a political issue. I am totally, completely befuddled by that. Mm-hmm. But if there is one thing that we are all over, it's like, look, this is not about politics. This is public health, period.
1: Sim- cover your nose and cover your mouth, and you will be healthy. It's, seems <laughs> really
0: like pretty dangerous. good advice generally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: don't, uh, too much. So one last question. Um, so there's no normal. We know that. We don't know what, whenever we get to a normal, we don't know what to be. What are you seeing? I mean. Right now, there's a lot of, you know, flying by the seat of the pants going on, right? Everything's changing every day. But you've already been through an entire cycle, as you say. You started in New York, and now New York's come yeah. down, and you can take those lessons learned. Yeah. What do you see, though, as sticking? Do you, do you foresee any, you know, <laughs> like you say, is any, anybody who says they know is, is lying, that said?
0: Yeah. if <laughs> You want me to lie,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess it's, yeah. part of it is the customer-centric change that would probably be
0: totally. for Ron. yep I, I yeah so I'll, I'll offer a couple that i think could stick or maybe have a higher likelihood of sticking okay. um you know my I tell clients all like my magic eight ball is every bit as cloudy as yours is right like all right, I that's the
1: bottom we're not going to hold you to any of this
0: yeah no <laughs> good 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 because it'd be just another thing i'm wrong about which happens a lot um, so I, I do think that the consumer centricity, not just in healthcare, but more broadly. And I think there are a lot of industries where the, the, the experience, the delivery of service or product has really been oriented around the company's convenience, not around the consumer's convenience. We can think about the misery that is buying a car, right? Or, you know, or, or sitting in a waiting room or, or whatever that is. I think you know, there's, a, there's a number of things like that that are have been re-engineered are being re-engineered, and I, and I think some of that will stick. I, I think that um, the industries that have lagged on digital engagement and digital access for consumers, healthcare certainly being one of those, um, has accelerated rapidly. Probably the poster child for this is telehealth, right? That We have, we have clients where, without any exaggeration, the increase in telehealth visits for them were three, four, five thousand percent during COVID. And it's sticking post. A you know, little bit of pullback, little maybe 10, 20% pullback post, but you know, just it, it's 10 years of innovation in three months is yeah. a bit, probably the best way to think about it. I think those kinds of things stick in part because they're consumer centric, but yeah. you know, but in part because organizations that maybe weren't didn't prioritize that were suddenly forced to and realized that it's actually a pretty great way to do things. And I, I don't think that's unique to healthcare. I think that's, a, um, I, I, think, I think we may see some of that in travel, right? Like if you think about the experience of travel, the idea that I book a ticket and then I can't get it refunded if I'm not going is a really unique to the airline industry kind of problem, <laughs> right? And on a, some level, it's absurd. Like the, yeah. that's not consumer centric. If I buy a, a ticket and something happens, a la Southwest, I should be able to get my money back and not be locked into those kinds of things. So I think we're going to see a lot of that on the, on maybe the negative side. And I'll just mention one, I think you have to worry about the restaurant industry. And, you know, I've seen some estimates that 50 or 60% of restaurants may close permanently. Um, You know, that, that destroys a a whole subset of entrepreneurs. It destroys, I think a really vibrant part of our culture. Um, Aside from the unemployment that's driven by that, right. For a, a whole set of service workers, um, and and I, I worry about things like that because I just think when we're this afraid for this long, some of that sticks, some of that becomes in our psyche permanently. Yeah. Um, and I hope I'm wrong about that because I would love for things to be back the, you know, to some version of the way they were. But I worry that that, that may be a while. And I think a lot of the research shows that. I also think I was mention one last thing. I think the notion of, what consumers were loyal to pre-COVID, is totally different post. And I'll, I'll give you one example of that. Our research showed that 60% of people who had deferred care, right, they had surgery scheduled and put it off or some other kind of healthcare put it off, 60% were willing to switch providers post-COVID. Those, those numbers were single digits pre-COVID. And so if, if you're will, 60% of people are willing to switch doctors, I think that it's not a stretch to say that consumers may be substantially less loyal to all sorts of other companies that they did business with before COVID. So, in many ways, we feel like loyalty kind of you know gets th- thrown up in the air and it's up for grabs after this.
1: And I believe, and I think, I think about it, um, also patients now at least in, in some generations, people don't advocate for their own health, right? Doctors are still, in yes. some ways, they're the, yeah. the guy, you still call them doctor, they're, they're you know, yeah. on a different level. And so hopefully another outcome of this is that people will advocate for themselves and take more responsibility for what they can achieve or have go through the systems as they should.
0: I think it's a great, great point. It's a great point.
1: All right, well, thank you and good luck. Um, we will stay yeah, in touch. No. All right.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Good luck with everything.
1: You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international
0: broadcast specialist, Marketers.